Hello, and welcome to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. My name is Nick Zararis. was supposed to do an episode yesterday. I got my first dose of the Pfizer vaccine on Monday. Uh, kind of kicked my butt yesterday. I was kind of on the mend. Didn't sleep particularly well. Pretty sore, pretty achy. You know, how it would feel to have the flu, that kind of thing. So, no episode for Wednesday. Today, though, good stuff with my good friend Hunter Hodes of the Lockdown Penguins podcast. We unpacked a little bit about the style of play, what goes into an effective NHL team in today's day and age, a little bit about the state of the Penguins, where they are with all their injuries in relation to the playoff race, hypothetical first-round matchups come postseason time. We're a little bit less than a month away from the beginning of the postseason. Down the stretch here, most teams are going to be playing pretty much every other day, so it's going to be grueling, it's going to be taxing. It'll be interesting to see if any team can make some kind of superhuman run. But for the most part, teams are more or less locked into playoffs versus no playoffs. It's more so the playoff battles this year are about seeding, where you're going to finish one through four and who you're going to play in the first round, as opposed to trying to get into the playoffs. There isn't really a race between teams outside trying to work their way in. And, of course, Hunter and I talked a little bit about the Tuesday night Rangers-Penguins game and a little bit looking ahead to the Rangers-Penguins game uh, that's tonight on Thursday and some of the things you can expect from the Rangers down the stretch here. As I've said all year, they're an extremely inconsistent team. Their coach is not the most adept at putting their guys in a position to succeed. I mean, Tuesday morning, he said part of the reason he wanted to play Kako on the third line as opposed to the second line was to get the kid line better matchups, more advantageous matchups, especially considering the Rangers would have last change as the home team. That didn't happen. Um, that kid line of Lafreniere, Kako, and Hito played against the Crosby line more than once, even though uh, Quinn had last change as co- as the home team. So Look to see a little bit more of that deployment stuff, a little bit more of the tactics that go into it. We do get a little bit into the importance of transition play and why the neutral zone is so important. This is a really good conversation, and if you want to understand the finer points of hockey nerddom, this is a really good episode for you that'll help paint a little bit clearer of a picture in terms of what matters that doesn't show up on the stat sheet, because goals and assists are nice, expected goals and scoring chances, all that stuff matters. But you can't do any of that if you don't have the puck in the offensive zone. But before I get to the conversation with my friend Hunter, I do have to remind everyone to please grow the show. Follow along on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review. Leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. Go to the episode page. Go to the page where every single episode of the show is listed. Scroll to the bottom. There are five clear stars. Hit the one furthest to the right. That'd be leaving a five-star review. If you have the extra second, hit the thing below that that says write a review. Press that. Write a little review, please. As a content creator, feedback from the public means the world. Follow along on Spotify, Google Play, Audioboom, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, any other podcasting platform. It helps grow the show, man. Slowly but surely, we're making progress. We're getting good guests. All of that said, I will see you guys with my pal Hunter in one second. Kako, save me! Lafreniere in the stuck and Trey scores! Alexei Lafreniere! And with that, welcome on. Very good friend of mine. He is the host of the Locked On Penguins podcast, daily podcast about the Pittsburgh Penguins. 
one of my very good friends, a good resource for hockey information, my good friend Hunter Hodes. How are we doing, bud? Not too bad, man. It is a gorgeous day out. I know the Nationals just lost their first game of the season. They have another one starting up, I think, in 30 minutes against the Braves. Um, but, you know, 72 degrees, usually I would be in college right now drinking a beer, sitting on my balcony and listening to the wonderful Grandpa Mike Francesa. He's <laughs> no longer on the fan, which is, you know, sad boy hours. But, you know, it's been it's great that the weather is getting warmer and we're getting closer to the Stanley Cup playoffs. So I'm in a great mood. So you are here, of course, to talk about your Pittsburgh Penguins. They played the Rangers last night, a very, uh, mostly eventful hockey game. A lot of things happened. One of the perfect examples of why hockey is such a high variance sport. And even if you play a strong game, you have good underlying numbers, you're creating scoring chances, you're creating dangerous scoring chances, you can still lose. Hockey is very fluky. It has a lot of variables that go into every single play. So we get weird outcomes like the game, like the game on Tuesday night where it was eight to four. The Rangers, of course, are a maddeningly inconsistent team where they can score eight goals against the Penguins, but struggle to score three goals against the Buffalo Sabres in consecutive games. So we are about a month out from the NHL playoffs. So we'll start with the obvious. How are you feeling about the Penguins right now? They're pretty dinged up. They're missing Evgeny Malkin. They're missing Kasperi Kapanen. John Marino lost a tooth last night. Don't know if he's going to be able to go on Thursday. So let's start with that. How do you feel about your hockey team? I feel good. You know, I was feeling some 2016 vibes before they gave up five goals in the last two periods um, Saturday, well, on Saturday's game against Boston because they were just playing some shutdown, lockdown defense that honestly we had not seen in this town um, in four to five years. Um, it just, it, when everyone buys in a Sullivan system, it is flawless. And you were seeing that for the 16 games prior to that, where they had not given up more than three goals in a game, you know, going back to sometime in February, um, they were just playing awesome hockey. Like you said, they are dinged up. I still feel good about them. Obviously the goaltending has not been up to par these last couple games. I mean, Casey DeSmith giving up six goals on Saturday. You have Tristan Jari getting pulled with four goals on 11 shots yesterday with his first game back in a couple um, the one thing that can happen is the goalies going back to the early season form where they were getting 850, 860 goaltending, you know, almost like that late era Matt Murray goaltending that they're <laughs> getting at times. I mean, you know, I, w- I was fine with him starting in the return to play against Montreal, but, you know, after seeing what he did, you know, I wouldn't have minded them going back to Tristan Jari. They honestly probably should have started him a bit earlier, but, you know, the goaltending has turned around. It should turn back around after two bad starts. I'm not too concern yet overall though this team can beat these three playoff teams that are in there right now in a best of seven series they match up well with washington um they always usually have the capitals number i know the capitals are playing good hockey this year but i also don't trust a lot of peter laviolette's teams in the playoffs um then you have the islanders that is a team that the penguins you know the islanders gave them fits for a a lot of these last couple of years they couldn't beat them i think they had one regulation win in their last seven eight games going into this season Penguins beat them six out of eight times this year. It's a matchup that the Penguins, I think, are really comfortable in just because they know how to play against Barry, Barry Trotz and his system. And I think Sullivan made some adjustments to how he plays against that team. And I think they could take them in a best of seven. And then you have Boston. You know, that's the team that they haven't played um, well in a playoff series. Of course, you know, the embarrassment of 2013 still stings a little bit, especially with Tuka Rask going 970 and the team just really getting out of its own way. Um, that's, I think, the team that I want to see the Penguins 
in the Sid and Gino era finally conquered because that's the one rival team they haven't beaten yet. But I still feel comfortable with their chances against those teams. It's after that there, it's like, okay, you know, can they beat Colorado who is lighting the league on fire? Can they beat a team like Vegas who can basically run two first lines at you, one of them being a super line that rivals Marshawn, Bergeron, Pasternak? Can they beat a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, who, of course, won the Stanley Cup? And, oh, yeah, everyone, they're going to be getting Nikita Kucherov back for the start of playoffs. Can they beat a team like Toronto? They probably can. I I don't think Toronto is insanely good. Um, They're going to have their hands full going up against, you know, potentially Montreal in the first round or, you know, Winnipeg with Connor Hellebuck or Edmonton with Connor McDavid. I think everyone would love to see those two teams go at it. Um, But overall, in terms of the Penguins, you know, their underlines are improving. Um, They were a bit down um, during the first half of the season, but they've slowly crept up. The goaltending has gotten a lot better. Defensively, they've mostly bought in. Um, This was a team that won, what, 13 of 16, 17 games in the month of March. Um, It was a true March of the Penguins as we've seen them do in recent years that basically got them a playoff spot. Um, they still, the schedule is still really weak for them coming up. This is the stretch where they want to start getting back some injured guys. Tiddy Bluger is getting close. Evgeny Malkin has started to skate. Kapanen is still not there yet. Hopefully Brandon Tanev gets back sooner rather than later. And John Marino, hopefully it's not a serious injury with his cheek or tooth. But I'm still confident in this team. And I think they're going to add one more piece before this is all over. Ron Hextall has been talking about adding a big physical forward. Hopefully someone that can contribute at 5v5, like a Dustin Brown or something like that. I mean, I, in preparation for this episode, I went and looked. Uh, I don't know how much you use Evolving Wilds um, rolling averages where you get that <laughs> graph and you get the visualization. And the Penguins more or less have gone as their goaltending has gone this year, which is an indication of a team that's decent at five on five, but is having a hard time scoring with any real consistency. They've been close to even for expected goals most of the season on expected on Evolving Wilds model. And there's the goalie save percentage has been the, the real issue as of late. I, I, I pulled it up here while you were talking and very, very ebbs and flows. I mean, they were before game number 10 was the first time the Penguins got over 900 save percentage game number it 10 of bad. the season. Yeah. And it's consistently, there was a little bit of a lull around game 20 and then game 25, it shot way up. It got to up to about 970 and yesterday's game kind of messed that up, but, this is the rolling average game by game. And obviously when you give up, a go- you give up goals on 24 and a half percent of the shots that the Rangers took last night, that's going to mess up your rolling average because it's going game by game. But co- prior to last night's game, the Penguins are hovering around 950 save percentage for the last 10, 15, ga- last 10 games or so, which is an indication that your goaltending can get hot, which as we know is the equalizer when it comes playoff time, because a great, even not even a good goalie, a goalie who gets hot at the right time can do all the difference. We saw it with Demko last year. We saw it with Anton Hudobin last year. We've seen it with Matt Murray. We've seen it with Jordan Bennington, where these guys who don't have significant track records, they just get hot at the right time, and the team in front of them responds to that. And Pittsburgh was a beneficiary of that twice. I, obviously, Matt Murray's role was a little bit different in each of the two years because of Flurry being there, but for all intents and purposes, it's going to come down to the goaltending because when the Penguins are healthy, they have as good a top six as pretty much anyone they're going to face until that conference final. Yeah, the top six is loaded. I mean, Jerry McCann has been awesome. You know, they're going to put him back with Evgeny Malkin, I think, and Kapanen when he comes back. Or, you know, with what he's done with next to Jason Zucker, who just came back, 
I could totally see them keeping him at third line center as well. They may have two really great options for him. And you hit the nail on the head with the goaltending. I think overall right now, or going into Saturday's game, they had the best all situations team save percentage, I think, in the entire league. If you look at some of the underlyings, um, it had it turned around in a huge way. And you're right. That was the big reason why this team was winning games. I saw a Twitter follower last night saying, you know, Penguins fans, you know, when the goalie is standing on his head and the team's not playing well, oh my God, like it's, it's 2016 again. And then, you know, Penguins, when they're dominating play like they were last night and the goalies are giving up goals, the king is dead. The king is dead. So, you know, it's people are very results driven, but they're not looking at the process, I think, with this team. Just because you saw last night, did they deserve to give up eight goals in that game? Probably not. No, the expected goals against was like 1.48 at 5v5. But, you know, when you have three or four goals bounce off your skate or your shirt or whatever into the net, that's, that stuff happens. And then you couple that with your awful start to the game. I mean, that basically lost in the game right there. You give up a goal about a minute in, you're not ready to play. Sidney Crosby has his worst shift I've ever seen, basically giving the puck right to the Rangers, not doing a good enough job backchecking. Then it's 2 nothing, and then it's 3 nothing, And then Panarin um, makes it – I think, no, it was Panarin that made it 3 Panarin made it 3, yeah, on the power play, yeah. And then they get one back. It's like, okay, you know, potentially come back here. Then they take a penalty, and it's like, oh, great, here we go. PK was actually playing well during the month of March. They actually, they were bottom third in the league. They'd gotten up to 19th going into last night. Then they allowed a Rangers power play to go three for three, which is kind of embarrassing because they were ranked 22nd going into that. And then they allowed that goal to get it to 4-1, and then the game's basically over before your comeback can even begin. So it was just a multitude of errors. Um, like I said, they didn't deserve to give up eight goals. I think that was a lot of bad luck. Definitely. But you know, eight goals is still eight goals and 15 goals in two games against. It's still 15 goals in two games against. And that's something that the Penguins are going to have to clean up going into the rematch tomorrow before they uh, go to New Jersey for the last two games there. Yeah, I, I went and looked, and these are the numbers evolving wild had for the expected goals value of the individual goals the Rangers scored. So the Blackwell goal that was deflected in off of a defenseman was worth 0. 0.03. So again, not very likely to result in a goal. The goal that Zabinijad scored between um, Yari's legs, they gave that a 2.23. Uh, so a reasonable expectation that shot results in a goal. The Panarin shot only 0.06, very unlikely to result in a goal. The Strom goal on the power play, 0.04. Again, very unlikely to result in a goal. The Lafreniere goal is the Rangers' best chance that was a goal. That was 0.5. So that, goal, that shot he took where he got Yari to come out just a little bit went around him and capped it in. That's a valuable chance that goes in. The Capo tip, 10%. The Fox shorthanded goal, 12%. The Booch goal, 11%. So these aren't amazing chances the Rangers created to score last night, to your point about it being lucky. The first two goals, they're a result of the situation because one, that's not your defenseman's fault on the Blackwell goal. Blackwell was trying to pass and that hit him in the leg and it went in. And then the Zabinijad goal, Crosby gets caught on a back check because he's trying to cover for Latang, who pinched up. And right there, it's 2 nothing already, less than six minutes into the game. And you got clear momentum now. The Rangers can start pressing a little bit. The Penguins have to start cheating up a little bit more, trying to spring the zone earlier, trying to create offense. And when you get into that shooting gallery kind of game where, yeah, the Penguins had like 50 shots, not all of them got to the net, but in a shooting gallery game like that, the Rangers are fine with letting you shoot from the boards, the perimeter, they're just going to really protect that high value area of the ice. And 
that's part of why the goals that the expected goals, the Corsi, the high danger chances skewed towards the Penguins last night because after a while the Rangers were like, okay, you're not going to score from there. We're fine with that. We'll roll the dice that Igor makes that save. And yeah, two of those goals the Penguins scored last night were the result of mediocre <coughs> me. Excuse me. Two of those were the result of mediocre defense. So it really is. It really goes to show you just how much variance goes into a hockey game every single night. Uh, we, I know I talk about this all the time, that the best teams don't win. It's a matter of who has, who's hot at the right time, who's got the right situational advantage. And that's a really, think, a valuable part of the conversation that gets lost a lot of the time when we're talking about who's actually good, whether we're talking about team or individual player. There are so many individual events that go into creating just a scoring chance alone you have to evaluate, well, if they're creating scoring chances like this, can they maintain doing it this way all season? And for the Rangers, that's been a no. They've had a really hard time converting the scoring chances they've had. And then occasionally they have these explosions. They did it to Philly twice. They did it to Washington once. And they did it to Pittsburgh on Tuesday night. You got to find a way to create your chances more consistently. And then vice versa, you have to not consistently give up good chances, which again, the Rangers are rolling one defensive pair that is actively good both ways in Fox and Lingren. The Truba-Miller pair is we may live, but we may die. They're going to create a lot of chances, but they're going to concede a lot of chances. And then Hayek and Brendan Smith is the sixth worst defensive pair in the league in terms of expected goals percentage with at least 200 minutes of ice time. So the Rangers are going to live and die by the goals they score because the goaltending has held up. Shesterkin started out a little bit slow, but again, at the beginning of the year, they were splitting the starts 50-50 between him and Georgiev. Then he pulled his groin. He missed about a week and a half. He came back into the lineup, and he's been fine ever since. The Rangers just haven't been consistent, and I think we need to do a better job, just as sports media in general, of explaining those underlying things that go into why a team is playing well or a team is playing bad. It's not just a one-dimensional, well, Miku Zvinijad didn't have points in game X, Y, and Z, so he's having a hard time. Well, why is that? Is he getting out chance? Does the other team have the puck more? Or is he just shooting wherever he is on the ice? Is he getting to good areas on the ice? All of these things need to be a part of that discussion. Yeah, absolutely. You know, especially, like you said, with this sport is so high variance, and you talked about it before. You said even on my podcast and said the best team a lot of times does not win. I mean, you almost saw it last year with Vancouver literally having their goalie win them a series against the Vegas Golden Knights when if you look at the expected goals, you looked at Corsi, you looked at high danger and all these other advanced metrics, the the Golden Knights were dumping on them every single shift. And it was just a goalie got hot and that's all it takes in the playoffs. You know, even back to 2017 with the Penguins, Matt Murray was 937 when he came back from injury. Before that, Flurry was at a 925 level. You couple that with then they had their high PDO basically finishing their chances every time they would get one. That is the reason why they won. It wasn't even, you know, the process and the results because the process wasn't even there for the Penguins in 2017. They were just writing high PDO and high goaltending. And sometimes you can do that to win the cup. And, you know, last year obviously was a bit different. Tampa had the process and they had the results to go with it because that was truly the best team. And, you know, we may see that again this year with them. Colorado, the process is there. The results have been there. And, but, you know, in seven game series, there's always like such, these are such small sample series. You know, you go back to um, the series with Pittsburgh and Montreal, those first three games, Pittsburgh outplayed them badly. The difference, 
Carey Price. He turned into God mode um, from 2015 and decided that he was going to take this over. And then when the Penguins realized that they weren't going to do anything in the fourth game, it almost looked like they gave up in that game just because like, wow, like we gave it our best shot. And if Carey Price is going to continue to play like this, there's almost no chance of winning. So um, I'm, not, I'm not trying to obviously make excuses for anything, but they kind of look dead in that game and just kind of trying to play a one nothing game. So that's the sport in a nutshell, honestly. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I, I know I get into this argument all the time in my group chat with my friends from high school and friends from my hometown who were casual hockey observers. They watch Ranger games, few of them Islander fans, few of them Devils fans. And then I try and get into these nuances of, well, you know, the best team doesn't always win because in a seven-game series, a goalie getting hot is the difference. Over the course of an entire season, a hot goalie isn't a thing over 82 games. It just isn't, especially considering your starters only going to play probably somewhere in the ballpark of 40 to 50 of those games if you have a truly number one goalie. And we lose the nuances of some of our discussions as fans sometimes where we're, we get into these, these I don't want to call them not, basically nonsensical arguments, but I mean, I look at the Penguins roster right now. I went through line by line with the stuff they had out there last night. Obviously, no Malkin, no Kapanen. Yeah. That first line is still very good. The, the Gensel-Crosby-Russ line, 55% of scoring chances, 55% expected goals, 56% high danger. That's what you want out of your first line. 390 minutes. The Marshawn Bergeron Pasternak line. It's not there or the Colorado Super line, but it's it's very good. It's up, it's up there, yeah. And they all complement each other very well. Where Sid likes to distribute, he likes to orchestrate. Gunsel likes to let it rip. And Rust is a good puck retriever and isn't afraid to shoot. And they all complement each other perfectly, which is one of the things a first line has to be able to do, especially in a playoff series where if you're on the road, the other team is going to try and avoid playing their first line against your first line so they don't cancel each other out. But that first line, you can feel confident throwing out there in any and every situation. And then we get to the obvious of, well, can the Penguins get healthy in time? Because without Malkin, they're not going anywhere. Without Malkin, Kapanen, they're going to have a really hard time. They need their guys to get healthy. If you get a healthy second line together of a Zucker, McCann, and Malkin, that's not bad. Zucker, McCann, Malkin is not bad. I mean, I looked, I went on daily faceoff. Right now they have your second line is Zucker, McCann, and Evan Rodriguez. 44 minutes at five on five. 57% of scoring chances, 57% expected goals, 50% high danger. That's respectable. 44 minutes isn't a huge sample, but fundamentally, those pieces fit together. McCann isn't afraid to shoot. Rodriguez is an energy guy. And Zucker is a distributor. Those guys all fit with each other. I think that's an underrated aspect of putting your team together that I think Mike Sullivan has done very well is it might take him a little while to figure out, but he gets guys with the players they need to be playing with to complement each other's skill sets. Yeah. And and that has the makings of a good third line, especially if they want to figure out what to do with Malkin and Kapanen when they come back, who do you put on his wing? Do you want to put Zucker there or do you want to keep him on the third line? Do you want to move McCann up to the wing or do you want to keep him at center? They have a lot of options. Um, You know, they still bring in Tanev out. I mean, do you want to break up the, top five fourth line of Astonis, Blue Yurtana, that's a decision he's going to have to make as well. I personally wouldn't because if you look at their underlyings um, when they've been all been healthy this year, it's textbook. They shut teams down and they contribute in the offensive zone, especially, you know, Tana, he's having a great, a much better season this year offensively than he did last year. 
when he's healthy. Teddy Bruger, when he's healthy, has really come into his own. And Zach Aston Reese as well. I think all three of those players um, have at least eight goals on the season if you just look at the counting stats. And their underlying, uh, their expected goals rate is above 50%. Their expected goals against rate while the, all those three are on the ice. They're not giving away a lot of chances as well just because when Aston Reese is on that line with those two, he is the shutdown guy. So um, they'll probably keep that line together. And, you know, they have gotten good results with Zucker, McCann, and Rodriguez. And Rodriguez especially has played really well ever since he's come back. You know, I know a lot of people were harping on him earlier in the season. And I get it. You know, playing him with Sidney Crosby, probably not the best idea. He's not a top six winger in the NHL. Um, but on your third or fourth line, and I, he, which is that I think is where he deserves to be right now, he's a perfectly serviceable player. And he can dish it. And he can also shoot it. I think he had a scoring chance last night where he hit the crossbar on the breakaway. He's, he's getting close to potting some more goals. And he's probably playing the best hockey of his career right now. He didn't get, really get a chance to showcase that in Buffalo just because he kept getting healthy scratched. Um, but, you know, the lineup, it's going to just look a lot better, you know, once they get these bodies back in these next couple of weeks. Then they can actually roll out two capable first lines of Gensel, Crosby, Rust. They want to do McCann, Malkin, Kapanen, or Zucker, Malkin, Kapanen. You know, for half the game, I mean, that's pretty damn good. And then they can roll a third line out, you know, if, you know, McCann down there potentially with Rodriguez and whoever else they want to put on there. Maybe maybe a forward, of course, if they want to get forward help. So I'd be curious to see what they do there. Yeah, I, I said this before on your show, and I just said it a minute ago, but when the Penguins are healthy, their top six is good. It's better than the Islanders on paper. It's better than the Islanders. It can hang with Washington's and – it's better than than Boston's at five on five because Boston at five on five has been lost for a solid two and a half, three they weeks. Have one now. Line, they just have one line, basically. Basically, yeah, that second line hasn't done anything. I mean, they separated Pasternak from that top line to try and get the second line going in the hopes of creating some more offense on five on five. I think a lot of the Bruins' problems are tied to their defense as well because they really don't trust their defensemen to be a part of their offensive game aside from McAvoy. So a lot of the time it is kind of like playing three on five in the offensive zone, which is something Winnipeg has been doing most of this season because they don't trust their defense either. They've been really encouraging those guys to play conservatively and hold the point. And I think that's an advantage Pittsburgh has over some of these teams is they're not afraid to get into the shooting gallery type game. And when they're fully healthy, I think that type of game can suit them relatively well. They are not as fast as some of the Penguins teams in recent years. I mean, the two years, the Penguins on the cup, they were a really fast team up and down the lineup. All four lines had really fast guys on them, but I just, the goaltending we know is probably the biggest determination of how well the Penguins go, but, are there any other factors you consider goaltending and health aside from those two to any reason the Penguins can't win at least one, if not two rounds in the playoffs? They got to get their special teams back to be the way that we've seen them in, in recent years. The power play has stunk for a large portion of this year. It's gotten better as of late, but it's still not where, you know, this, this should be a top five, top 10 power play in hockey. I understand if getting Malkin's out. I understand if Barry Kapanen's out, but you know, before that, when Malkin was actually playing well, power play was still not clicking like normal and the penalty killing it had a nice month of March I think they had eight to nine games in a row where they didn't give up a power play goal it was like okay you know getting some momentum back they're starting to look like the Jacques Martin penalty killing unit you know I know he's obviously with New York now but you know that was the best part of when he was the coach here was his penalty killing weakness he obviously probably had a soft spot for someone like Jack Johnson or some other defenseman but they, he always ran great 
penalty killing units. And you saw that with, I mean, I think you're seeing that with New York this year. I think yeah. Europe is really damn good. And, you know, people like to say, well, why is the PK bad? Why is the PK bad? You know, it, it's a multitude of reasons. Um, it probably starts with they fire the PK coach and they yeah. hire someone who does not have a lot of experience in having PK duties. But if you look past that, you know, maybe he could do a, a good, better job. Like I said, if you look past that, they're very slow to the puck. There's a lot of puck watching when you watch yeah. that unit. They're not making a beeline to the puck. I understand that if you look at their formation, they're kind of trying to do like a triangle in front of the center of the slot areas to not allow high danger chances from going in. They want the chances to be from the outside. It makes a lot of sense, right? But, you know, in doing that, they're allowing these great looks to come from the point and they're also not allowing, you know, they're allowing people to just stand in front of their net with no yeah. repercussions. I mean, I saw Chris Kreider yeah. standing there last night, basically baking a cake and Christian <laughs> Jari. And it was just like, is anyone going to cross check him out of the way? I mean, you don't want to take a penalty, obviously, but is anyone just going to shove him out of the way? I mean, they, they, Anders Lee has done that to them this year. Any net front presence player has done that. And they just don't seem care, to care about doing anything about it. But those are my big two things when I watch the PK, a lot of puck watching, you know, when they get the puck, they're not getting the clears that they need to get. Um, and there's just, you know, they're too passive, you know, sometimes they've even been a little over aggressive, but you know, they reverted back to a bad form last night and that can't continue. You know, the special teams have to be a hell of a lot better. Um, if this team wants to go far this year, because they can be great at five V five and we've seen them be great at five V five for a lot of this season, but if their special teams are going to continue to be bad, namely the penalty kill, they're not going to do anything really. How would you describe the Penguins transition game? Are they a bank and pray kind of team that likes to get their defensemen, just get it out of the zone, whatever. If it banks off and we take a nice and whatever, are they link off where they have a guy at the half boards or the blue line to receive the exit pass? Do they let their defensemen skate to carry it out? <laughs> How would you describe the Penguins in transition? It's the latter. Yeah, they let the defensemen skate and carry it out. I mean, Crystal Tang is obviously number one at doing that. Yeah. He's their best offensive defenseman. Brian Dumoulin has gotten really good at it. Um, that's, you know, for as much as I call Mike Matheson the total chaos player and why he's <laughs> playing it forward this year, um, that is the best aspect of his game. He knows how to carry it out of his defensive zone, and he is elite, I think, at zone entries. That is the big thing about his game, and he has a nice shot. Yeah. It's the other half of this game that is just a total tire fire. And, you know, even Cody Cece, they've been allowing Cody Cece to actually carry the puck out of his own zone and make that first pass. You didn't see a lot of that with his tape in Ottawa. Yeah. And you look at his underlying numbers with Matheson as the pairing. They're, they're good. They're, they're good. It was like 57, 58%. And you obviously know who's carrying that pairing. It's Cody Cece. I yeah. mean, stuff you didn't think you'd say in 2020, 2021. CC has been a damn good defenseman for this team this year. And, you know, I saw a great tweet last week, I think from Adam Gretz, you know, this is, that is the kind of contract that you should have signed Jack Johnson to, if you were going to sign him. And that is the play that Jim Rutherford was probably expecting Jack Johnson to have yeah. for those minutes that CC gets, if that wasn't too confusing for everyone. CC yeah. is giving them a level of play that, you know, a two year extension, maybe 2 million, two and a half million per, I, I take it. I would take that and run with it to the bank that he's really just been a completely different player, you know, just, and with tra the transition game, John Marino, they allow him to really carry it up as well. The only player I think they do, they don't allow to carry it up too much is Marcus Pedersen. He's really taken a step back. I think this year his defensive play, which he has been known for has not been super good. Um, they mainly have Marino 
carry the puck up a lot on that pairing just because he's the offensive player, I think. And that was the reason why Matheson Marino wasn't working. I've been saying this on my podcast too. Like, you know, when you have two players on a pairing that both want the puck so goddamn bad, it's going to be kind of a tire fire because then they both are not going to play defense with each other. You know, you have to separate the balance a little bit. And, you know, you have Jumlin Latang. Jumlin's the defensive defenseman, the stay-at-home guy. You have Latang to carry it up. Marino, he can carry it up. Pedersen can stay back a little bit. You know, and then the third pairing, you can have, I guess, Matheson carry it up. Or, or CC. it doesn't really matter. But then you can have maybe CC play defense in the defensive zone because he's been so great at that this year. But then, you know, you have their, their neutral zone game, which is where they want to clog teams up, which they had been doing for 16 straight games. They were employing that. One two two neutral zone trap that Sullivan loves to use. It stifled teams so badly um, in 2016. You know, go back to the third period again in game six of San Jose in that final. Um, that was when it was working at its finest. And you saw it basically almost at that level those 16 games prior to Saturday. So that's how they usually like to play. And if all is going according to plan, that is how Sullivan loves losing his defensemen and loves how his team is playing in the neutral zone, especially. Yeah, no, I, neutral zone, zone exits, that kind of stuff doesn't go get discussed a lot about what makes for good players at the NHL level. I know that's not going to win anyone a Norris trophy or um, uh, a hard trophy for the most valuable player, but that's an underlying thing that goes into a game. How does a guy manage when they have the puck? Do they treat it like a hot potato? Do they do what Jacob Schuber does whenever he has the puck where the second it's on his stick, he immediately tries to get rid of it? Or do they have the confidence to hold on to the puck, evaluate where people are on the ice, and get it somewhere where it needs to be, or they skate it where it needs to be? I, I always talk about this. I talk about this a lot with my friends when we're playing fives in NHL. If you can skate somewhere with the puck, just skate there. That's better than passing the puck. Maintaining control of it the entire time means the other team doesn't have a chance to take it away from you. You want to see that from your players, whether they be forwards or defensemen skate to where you want to go with the puck unless the guy is open if the guy is open you can pass that's fine but i do think we get into a bad habit of overcomplicating things and we see players who are expected to do things they're not good at and they fall into that trap i know specifically it comes to mind what the rangers tried to do in the playoffs last year against carolina they kept trying the forwards kept springing the neutral zone early to try and create offense and forcing the defenseman to send long passes through the defensive zone to get to the neutral zone. And Carolina was pinching at the blue line. They weren't letting that pass get through. And the Rangers never really were able to create any sustained offense because they couldn't get to offense. That's something I think we could do a lot. There's a lot of potential with that, with television, with the way you present things, where just simple things like zone exits and zone entries are very easy to explain and visually you can do it you can color the blue line in deeper on the television broadcast so it stands out a little bit more and say this is the key area of the ice you don't think the neutral zone is important in the grand scheme of hockey you think of it as where guys change guys wait to deflect the puck into the offensive zone and where you're trying to get to just to get to offense neutral zone is where you win hockey games a lot of the time because if you cannot get through there to offense you can't score if the other team is getting through you super easily, they're going to be in your zone all night. And I really think that's a part of hockey that gets overlooked a lot by casual fans who watch, by hockey media who write about hockey a lot. I, I know Carp, I know Larry Brooks have constantly been like, Lieber Hayek has been fine. Lieber Hayek treats the puck like a hand grenade 
and doesn't do anything in the neutral zone. Anytime he has the puck in the neutral zone, it's immediately a dump in. He doesn't look to pass. He doesn't skate the puck out of danger. He doesn't use his body to create space or take away space. I know in Jack's book, in Jack Holland's book, there's the visualization of the ideal defense neutral zone breakup where you have the forward is about 10 to 15 feet on the blue line coming out of the defensive zone. So if the team with the puck in the defensive zone is skating out, the forward is about 10 to 15 feet towards the middle of the ice from the boards. And behind them, the defenseman is five feet inside of them to their left. You're trying to corral the guy with the puck into that corner between the forward and the defenseman so the defenseman can force the takeaway in the neutral zone. Those little, little things that go into creating offense and defense are such an important part of hockey. Yeah, I mean, you said it best. The neutral zone is where you know, you win and lose games. You know, all you have to do is just check out, watch Islanders games. For as boring yeah. as they are, Barry Trotz is so good at, at, with his teams and controlling the neutral zone. And that's where, you know, the Penguins were so good at playing them this year because Mike Sullivan made adjustments to his system and the Penguins stifled them every single game they played against that team. And that is a hard team to go against the neutral zone because, yes, it's low event hockey, but he makes it work because he has the right personnel for it. You know, even Tampa Bay in the neutral zone last year, they can run four lines. And John Cooper is a great coach, and he stifled Barry Trotz's system as well because they had the right personnel for it. You know, you have to have the right personnel. I probably said that five times in 100 <laughs> seconds or whatever, you know, to make it work. And, you know, it's something that you said, it does not get talked about enough. I love Jesse Marshall's work on the athletic. He talks about the neutral zone a lot in his work when he breaks down video and, you know, looks at how the Penguins are playing defensively or, you know, some offensive stuff and how they're stifling teams and whatnot. You know, he'll, he'll go into the video and be like, hey, this is what they're doing well now. And he'll also include evidence as to how what they were doing before and how they weren't doing as well before. And, you know, I want more writers to do stuff like that. Um, in the hockey media and go into the video and just check it out and like just do the deep dive because like you said that is where a lot of games are won and lost um, just because you have to control the play in the neutral zone yeah no absolutely that's one of the main points of the blog I wrote that's going to go up either today or tomorrow about why the Islanders are so effective at five on five they control the most important areas of the ice they control the net mouth that high danger chance area and then in the neutral zone, you can't get by them. You have to dump the puck past them. And then you have to go win the 50-50 puck in the corner. And their defensemen aren't the most name-brand guys, but Pelik and Pulak are, are, have been outstanding this year. Nick Letty, his, his underlying numbers aren't great, but they're getting good production out of him, even though he's older now. Noah Dobson has been effective in the limited role they've given him. And... Trotz is one of the few coaches that you can tell makes a noticeable difference on a team. I mean, the Islanders went from being the worst team in the league at five on five in terms of chances against to the best team in the league in terms of high danger chances in a single season, just switching from Doug Waite to, to um, Barry Trotz. In a single season, the Islanders rectified being a tire fire where they could score a ton of goals, but they gave up just as many and that's why they were under 500 it's why Doug Wake got fired it's why it's part of why Tavares left Trotz knows how to get the most out of his guys and to circle it back into a Penguins part of this discussion it's one of the things I think Mike Sullivan does very well is he 
has a good process of giving guys a trial run with each other. Like, like we, I, we talked about this the last time you were on the podcast. Whenever the Penguins acquire a winger, is he going to play with Sid or is he going to play with Gino? Well, he starts with Sid, and they always end up playing with Gino for whatever reason, just because just that's the way things shake out. He does a good job of that, and he, the Penguins play a style of hot, hockey conducive to their talent. I think they're, that teams that are struggling – whether it be offensively or defensively. I think a lot of that time, the time that stems from players not being put in a position to succeed. I forget who said this. I think it was Bill Belichick, but Bill Belichick, I'm pretty sure it was him said, there is no such thing as a bad player. If they are a professional athlete, they have to have some talent. You have to be able to do something with them. You see it all the time. You see players miscast, asked to do things they're not good at, whether that be the responsibility they have with the team or their function within a system. If a guy yeah. isn't good at it, they can't do it. That's on you, coach. If you have a defensive pair that is really good at skating the puck out of the defensive zone and getting to offense quickly, but you're telling them, I need you guys to start passing up to forwards so we can get into transition faster. And neither of those defensemen is particularly adept at that, or you don't have the forwards fast enough to do that you're not putting your team in a position to succeed and I know I've been losing my mind with the Rangers this year because so much of their offense is one and done stuff even when they get a clean zone entry they are getting one shot on goal because it's not a good shot it's from a low danger area and that's a turnover you don't think of a shot on goal that the other team recovers as a turnover but it's a turnover the other team has the puck because you took a bad shot and they were able to recover it and now you're back on defense again that is one of the things that I've been extremely frustrated with the Rangers that I don't, I don't watch the Penguins as frequently as you do. I watch them with some frequency, but I feel like the Penguins have a firm grasp on what they need to be doing, whether it be offensively or defensively. Yeah. As Mike Sullivan always says, it's playing the right way in his, you know, saying, you know, it's a total buy-in as, as what he also says as well. You know, when they're playing their one, two, two neutral zone trap for those 16 games, you saw everyone buy in when they're, contributing offensively and winning the neutral zone and winning the transition play, they're all buying in. And, you know, I, I did that little cough Taylor Hall thing because, you know, yeah. he's, he's cast in Buffalo and, you know, he's, they're probably not even going to get a first round pick for him, excuse me, because of the way he's played this year. And, you know, that's kind of nuts to say for a Taylor Hall who is considered one of the best left wingers um, in this sport. So yeah, yeah, there's no such thing as like, I guess, bad players. You just have to, you know, know how to use them. Right. And, and Sullivan, like you said, to his credit, he knows where to put players in the lineup. Yeah, it's always so funny when Jim Rutherford went out and acquired a player before he resigned. Phil Kessel, yeah, he's going to play with Cindy Crosby. Then plays with the Guinea Malkin. Then he has the HBK line, which will hang in the rafters forever. I'm going to go get Kisberry captain. Yeah, he's going to play with Sidney Crosby. We'll see how that goes. Sullivan said the same thing. Start, then he also went down the Malkin's line, and then they basically are a point-per-game duo together. So that is basically every time. You can even go back before that, actually. James Neal, we're going to yeah. play him. Crosby, great goal scorer. Nope. Goes and plays with Evgeny Malkin, and he has a 40-goal season with him. You know, Sid, I think, just works better with a different kind of player, you know, a la a Jake Gensel, who is a playmaker, but also a pure goal scorer. I will argue on this podcast as well that he is a top-five pure goal scorer in the because he knows how to get to those soft areas, and he has a hell of a shot. And if you look at his production for the last three years, um, it's almost like – 0.5 goals per game or something like that. It he, is he, yes, he's right there. He's up there with the Foster Knox of the world who seem to score hat-tricks every other week. Gunsel's an effective player. He gets to those areas. And like you said, having the plus shot helps. 
It doesn't matter if you get to the good areas, but you have to actually have the wicked shot to make it happen. So as we start to wrap up here, if you had your ideal first round opponent, it it looks like it's going to be either the Islanders or Washington. Those are the two most likely opponents. Which would you feel more comfortable against in the first round? That's a good question. Um, I would prefer Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they're as good as their record indicates. Oh, I think they're not. a very good team for sure. I mean, Ovechkin is still awesome playing at a high level. Backstrom is always so good. Kuznetsov is good, you know, maybe not as good as it used to be, but he's still a good player. TJ Oshie on a bad contract, but still very effective player in a top six role. Jacob Braun is also good. John Carlson, great offensive defenseman, though in his own zone, not so good. And their goalies have not been bad when healthy. Um, but, you know, after that, you know, I feel like the Penguins' depth went healthy a lot more over them. I think the Penguins' defensive corps, outside of John Carlson on Washington, are a lot better um, than Washington's just because I like the depth. And I just like the matchup. The Penguins are so far 4-2 and two against Washington this year. Um, could have been the case that they could be 5-1 and one because I think they've outplayed them in five of the six games that they played against them. And it's also a team that they've had a lot of playoff success in the years um, prior, I know the one year they lost, they were mostly pretty gas, but you know what? Sometimes your rival team beats you. It happens. That's hockey. You know, that, that was basically the Capitals. You know, they got their cap. But, you know, then I also would not be upset if they did get the Islanders. Like I said, I would more so want the Caps because I like the Penguins' depth over them. And I think their defensemen would not do as good at going up against the Penguins' system. But, the Islanders would be my second matchup just because of the way they played against them this year, the way Sullivan adjusted to Barry Trotz's system, especially in the neutral zone. They didn't, I mean, you can only stop Barzell so much. He's obviously an electric player to watch. Um, Andres Lee being out is a pretty freaking big deal. He's one yeah. of the top five bet, best net front presences in the league. Um, but even outside of that, he's just a great goal scorer, good playmaker. And, you know, they're putting first line Leo Komarov up there right now, which is um, definitely not first line Andres Lee. That's for sure. But, uh, you know, that's just a team that the Penguins have really played a lot better against. I'm much more comfortable going up against the low event hockey that Barry Trotz likes to run this year than in years past because the Penguins actually now have the right personnel to go up against them. And I also think, you know, the, the last couple of years, especially, the Penguins were humbled by those so-called defensive teams, right? Especially the Islanders that got swept. Montreal, they only won one game, and they played low event hockey. Sullivan has now, I think, gotten the team to – play more of a risk-free, well, I guess low-risk approach against those teams because you can't take a lot of risks because they'll actually bury you. Because And then once they do, they'll just sit back and trap all they want because they're just going to sit and protect the lead. Barry Trotz, his teams are so good at that, and they've been so good at that over the years. So, um, But in the games that I watched here against the Islanders, um, like I said, the right personnel is there. They won the neutral zone battles, and – um, moreover, they just they were humbled by them mm-hmm. in Montreal, and I think that going forward will be a big key in that playoff series. But overall, I do like uh, Washington as the top team. Yeah, no, definitely. I would agree with you. The way the Islanders play is conducive to playoff hockey. There's a lot fewer chances. There's a lot less space to operate. The game is a lot faster. Even though the Islanders don't do a lot off of the rush, that's by design because they're not the fastest team. When I say the game speeds up, I mean the pressure speeds up. Guys get to you faster on defense. There's less space to operate. When I say the game is faster, that's what I mean. Obviously, the Islanders as most people are well aware, play a very methodical plotting, dump, chase, 50-50 puck, win the puck, get it to the point, 
point, down low, back to the point, cycle, cycle, until someone gets open, unless it's the Barzal line. The Barzal line will just carry the puck into the zone because he's the best or second best player in the league at zone entries. He's uh, ridiculous. <laughs> he, he's one of the best skaters in the league. He's not the fastest in a straight line like a Connor McDavid, but he's got such good agility moving laterally. I mean, I'm looking at it here. The Islanders are two and four against the Penguins this year. The Penguins have played pretty well against them this year. I wonder about that matchup. Like we said, the Islanders aren't the most talented team, but they are a team that definitely plays greater than the sum of their parts. I can't wait. The playoffs are going to be very fun. The season has been very weird. It's been very weird only seeing the same seven teams over the course of the last three months. I know this season has been very run heavy. When I say that, I mean, teams go on a nice seven, eight game heater because they're playing the same crappy team. Like, you get the Devils and the Sabres back-to-back. You rattle off three out of four, and suddenly you got some confidence. You carry that into a game against a Washington or a Pittsburgh or a Boston with a little bit of confidence. You might not be as talented as them, but that little bit of confidence and the high variancedness of hockey, that can be the difference between winning and losing that extra game. You get on that nice run. We've seen it all over the league. Each division, a team has gone on a run. Started the year, the Wild came out of the gate really hot. The Leafs came out of the gate really hot. The Capitals came out of the gate really hot. Now we're 40-ish games into the season and we're deep into other runs. The Penguins had a hot run and they've hit a wall the last two games. The Islanders have been relatively consistent throughout. And I think the playoffs are going to be very weird. I think we're going to see some strange outcomes. Just we never have normal playoffs in hockey. There have never been once been a normal playoffs in the NHL. I'm excited um, for the final four just for this year because you're going to get some wild matchups. I mean, for all we know, Nick, we could get an East Conference Stanley Cup final. I mean, yeah. You could literally have a Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh Stanley Cup final, for example. You could have a Vegas, um, well, I don't know, maybe not a Vegas, you can't do Vegas, Colorado because they're in the same division. You know, you could do a whatever, you know, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. You could do Toronto, Tampa in the final, potentially Toronto, Florida. Um, there are some matchups that for this year in the playoffs that I do hope we get that we have not seen in a while. You know, example, the Battle of Florida. We have not seen a Battle of Florida in the playoffs. I don't remember the last time those teams went at it, I don't think, in a playoff series. That would really ignite a rivalry down there. I mean, not saying there isn't one now, but, I mean, with how good those two teams are, and I know Ekblad's out, that would be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, obviously, Vegas, Colorado. You know, the divisional playoffs – they are what they are. I, I'm, I'm kind of tired of playing these same teams eight times. You get to play some of them potentially 15 times, test the fans a lot um, in this kind of season. Uh, but then after that, the Stanley Cup semifinals and the final, that's actually going to be a lot of fun because you're going to get some matchups that you really have not seen before in the playoffs and you probably will never see again um, for the rest of time unless we do have another pandemic um, at some point. So, um I'm excited. I know they start a month later. They're obviously going to end a little bit after the 4th of July, which is going to be interesting. You know, we'll get some hockey during then. Um, You know, I think it's going to end right before the Olympics start, if I'm not mistaken. So um, well into the summer. And then, you know, it's a little bit of a shorter off season because the season will start back up in just uh, three months instead of four. So, um, and, you know, you have the expansion draft too. So it's going to be a busy time. Um, But 
I'm kind of ready for the playoffs to start now because usually, like right now, what is it, April seventh? This you know, is about when the playoffs usually start. About, yeah, they, when they start, it's 72 degrees here. You can, you know, the ice is it start. You start to get those ice problems. The fans mm-hmm. will start to be outside, usually watching the games and all that. Um, it's going to be a bit weird to see it start next month, but you know, I think you know what what we're used to. I, I'm ready for this to start right now. Yeah, I'm very much itching to get to the playoffs, especially because I know I won't have to watch the Rangers and be stressed out. I can just watch hockey as a neutral observer and get takeaways as a professional and understand a little bit more about other teams that I haven't watched as frequently. I mean, I've made a conscious effort to try and watch every team at least once per week. That way I kind of have an idea of where they're at. But at the same time, there's just so much going on. I mean, we did... 40, 50 minutes here about hockey. We haven't even talked about the fact that Canucks are in a hockey team right now, that the North division is basically every team is getting extra days off because all of the teams still had games to play left against the Canucks. That North division is, I think the North division, like the East division, whoever comes out of that into the final four is going to be pretty beat up because the talent gap between those four teams that are going to make the playoffs isn't that big, whatever order they finish in. I'm pretty sure Toronto's locked into that first seed, more or less barring absolute catastrophe but i'm very much ready to get to the playoffs yeah um i think you know i just kind of want the season to end now just because you know the penguins play a lot of (laughs) teams down the stretch that are not going to get in i mean this team still has five games left against the devils four games left against the sabers literally nick half of their remaining schedule is against the two bottom teams in the division so you know if they somehow have a collapse um very unlikely with i think playoff odds dom updated it this morning 95% 95% for the Penguins to get in, you know, like I said, bearing something unforeseen, they should be getting some guys back. This team should be a top three seed in the division. Um, I know the Bruins have a couple games in hand due to COVID protocols, but, um, you know, but also if you look at the playoff races right now, there aren't a lot of actual races. Like in the yeah. East, and you honestly know what teams are going to get in. I mean, the, the Flyers and Rangers are still five points back behind the Bruins and the Bruins still have a couple games in hand on them. If the Bruins win those games, they're tied with Pittsburgh, and then both those teams are nine points out of a playoff spot. So, I mean, they, well, both the Rangers and Flyers only have 18 games left. It is very hard to make up a deficit of five, six, seven, eight, nine points um, with less than 20 games left. It's- Especially because the Rangers only have two games left with the Bruins. If you had the Bruins like five more times over the last yeah. 19 games, you could hypothetically make the argument, well, yeah, you just take care of business at your head but we're obviously not going to have that this year because, uh, you know, that's just the way the schedule shakes out. I know the Rangers have a few left with Washington, a few left with Boston, but relatively speaking, the opportunity just isn't there for them to catch up. They really need to make a conscious effort to maximize these last 18 games or so, put guys in positions to succeed. It's been my biggest frustration all year. The team hasn't played great. And guys haven't been put in a position to succeed. It'd be one thing if everything was fully optimized and they still weren't winning, but the Rangers are just scratching the surface of their potential. Yeah, that's going to be, I was reading from uh, the athletic last night, that's going to be a playoff team. If if not next year, the year after, I'd Definitely. probably have them right next year, next year, I think potentially, especially when the divisions go back to normal. Um, and then, you know, you look at the central, Three great teams right there. Who's going to get that last seed to get bopped by Tampa Bay or Florida or probably Tampa Bay, honestly. Then you have the West. That's virtually locked up. I mean, are the Blues going to make up a five-point deficit on Arizona? No. The North Division, you have Toronto, Edmonton, Montreal, and um, And then 
all the other teams I think are five, six points behind. So there's just, there's not like a true big playoff race in these divisions with 18 games to go. I mean, obviously some crazy stuff can happen, but it's unlikely, especially like I said, in the East division, these four teams that we see right now, pretty much locked in. I would be stunned if these four, all four of these teams knock it in. Yeah, no, definitely. The race is proceeding at this point. The race yeah. is proceeding. Who you're going to play in the first round, that kind of thing. I, I'd be curious to see if we get to those last two or three games of the year, if teams make the tactical decision to try and avoid certain teams in the first round, which we know has happened from time to time where teams have made, had the opportunity to finish as like the fourth team in their division or the wild card, and they've opted to pursue the wild card because then they can go into the other division. I know the year the Rangers went to the second round and they lost to Ottawa. They sat guys out of the last game of the regular season. I don't know if that was a conscious decision to try and win the wild card to end up playing the Atlantic division path, but it, it, there is some gamesmanship. There is some strategy in a normal year, but this year there really isn't. You're going to play a team you've already played seven or eight times. If you're a team like the Islanders or Washington, is there really that much of a difference between playing Boston or Philadelphia? Not uh, Boston or a Pittsburgh, excuse me. Not really. If you're Toronto, is there that much of a difference between playing Edmonton or Winnipeg? Not really. I, we're going to have... That's Connor McDavid. The other one doesn't. <laughs> yeah, but Toronto's played Edmonton well. Aside from that one game where McDavid kind of went crazy, they've done a good job of keeping him in check this year. I'm very curious to see how things shake out. Very, very curious. Now, Hunter, tell the people a little bit about the Lockdown Penguins podcast, the schedule, the type of work you do, that kind of thing. Yes. So it is a daily podcast Monday through Friday during the season. When it's an off-season, it is three days a week. I try to do Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Do a lot of game recaps, do a lot of previews, try to have some guests on. I actually just had you on, of course, right before this recording. That will be published here at some point today. Um, it's a lot of fun to do. I've done almost 300 episodes, believe it or not. I've been doing it for about a year and a half. All things Penguins. Um, I'm going to try to have more guests on throughout the season and in the off season as well. Um, I do. I did stuff for you know Waxford and Hockey. You know, I have a couple things potentially down the pipeline here that I'm not allowed to talk about just yet. Um, I know you know about one of them, but I'm not going to talk about that here just yet. I'm not trying to jinx it. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's mainly what I do. You know, I've done stuff for Pittsburgh Hockey now. I've done stuff for Pittsburgh Sports Live with Mac Dyka. That's a lot of fun. And, you know, my Twitter is at Hunter Hodes. Um, I'm sure when he tags, it tags me on Twitter, you'll be able to see it and you can just go follow me for all Penguins content. Thank you so much for coming on, Hunter. This is a nice day. As a recording, I put on the Met game. The Mets are already losing in the first inning. So it's going to be that kind of day. After yesterday... I got a Rangers win, which was nice. The Mets survived. Liverpool bungled themselves. So there's always balance in New York sports. There's always balance. The Rangers won yesterday and the Mets won. So the Mets are probably going to lose today. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. We'll be back tomorrow. Friend Ox is stopping by to talk about what it's like being an NHL fan in a non-conventional market as a Nashville Predators fan. I'll see you guys then.